Beware, children, beware of the wild world beyond your own door. It is not enough to stay out of the great beyond. Tend your habits like a garden that it does not encroach upon your home. Do not let shadows cast by every ancient thing within cross your lovely faces. Do not let your own shadow cross over theirs, down low where they lurk. All manner of beasts wait for you there in the world beyond your door. Giants, psychics, zealots, foxes, itinerants, doppelgangers, and changelings all wait to toy with you. All because they cannot go back to the innocence you possess. All because if they could go back and never have entered the world beyond their doors, they would. If they could leave the wild, they would. Do not let curiosity carry you there. To go into the wild should be an act of desperation. Two brothers lived with their mother outside the city at the edge of a swamp. They knew no one. Only the most desperate townsfolk ever solicited their mother's talent of spellcraft, which also kept their father trapped at the edge of the swamp, where creatures at her command fed and kept him alive. The brothers looked and sounded just like their father as they told each other stories. She hated them for this and she loathed that she could neither be free of nor have their father, and it was with venom that she watched her children's tactics to escape from her. The older brother could still remember their father's stories. He would imitate the man, recalling to his brother before they slept the story of the time their father tried to take them away in the middle of the night, whispering in the hope that their mother could not hear, though it was impossible to tell. One day, walking at the edge of the swamp, the older brother came across their father. Although much time had passed and the elements had ravaged the man completely, there was no mistaking who the boy was looking at. Do not come too close, the storyteller said, even though he would have given anything to hug his son. I do not know the boundaries of the evil that holds me here. Sit there, I will tell you a story. And he did. The boy visited his father every season. Eventually, he brought his brother with him. The brothers were on their way home from a covert visit with their father when they came across a fair maiden holding her ankle and weeping gently. When they stopped to ask what her trouble was. I tripped over this root on my way home without seeing it at all. It was as if it rose up out of nowhere and caused me to stumble, she said. The older brother, although not uncompassionate to her plight, nor unmoved by her beauty, was suspicious, for nothing within his mother's realm was beyond her control, even the very roots. The younger brother was blinded to his suspicions by the maiden's beauty. He said, our mother is a healer. If she can be convinced, his brother interrupted. Which way did you come from? We will carry you back to there. If you know a healer, that would be much appreciated, she said. I don't think that I can walk. The younger brother lifted the maiden in his arms and walked toward their cottage. The older brother put his hand on his sibling's arm. What if mother makes it worse, he said. 
Don't be jealous, the younger brother said. She's going to heal her. So they walked to the cottage where their mother healed the maiden's foot, insisting that the girl stay for dinner, which she made for them while the younger brother entertained the maiden with a story of a princess in a castle where the father was distant and enamored with his youngest daughter. The dinner was intoxicatingly good. The older brother stopped after one bowl, suspicious of anything so good that came from his mother, but he could not help but finish. The world began to open up around him. She had drugged them. All things undulated and teemed with life. He could not uphold his righteous guardedness and was powerless but to succumb to the oneness of everything, including himself. And as he stopped resisting, he found that his younger brother was not neglecting to kiss any part of the maiden as she lay upon and rose up from and was of the earth. He watched as his brother kissed that of her which gave life, glad that his mother was no longer visibly present. He was pulled over to the lovers. He had no impulse to give them privacy and was drawn to watch the things they had started doing before his very eyes. The younger brother's engagement with the hitherto neglected parts of the young maiden caused them to open up for him, exceeding the usual capacity until he was drawn in, first hands and tongue, then his whole mouth and head and his entire body. The older brother was fascinated and curious. He took up what his sibling had started, his better impulses having been silenced. She writhed in ecstasy at his behest. And with every kiss, he was drawn further in until he slept with his brother in their lover's womb until morning. Come dawn, the fair maiden awoke as a giant, having grown to accommodate their two bodies, even as they fused into one, which she agonized to birth. Disgusted by the blood and viscera and shocked by the unexpectedness, she wept. Why, the giant said, why? Although the brothers wanted to comfort her, their two minds now shared a brain. They both spoke at once, and a cluster of nonsense syllables spewed forth from their shared mouth. She frowned and stood, tearing the roof off the cottage. She kicked down the walls on her way out. Inarticulate and uncoordinated, the brothers stumbled around the wreckage of their home. Coated in the giant's blood, their thoughts overlapped, but even still, they could agree that the unknown wild world was a safer prospect than staying. For while their mother might be the only one with a remedy to their plight, to take it would make them beholden to her. All the trees had turned to bone, with splintered branches. Flesh leaves fell to the ground and landed on them. They would try to stand only to fall over each other. They tripped over every bone root and skull in the woods, and their own blood coated their flesh along with the giants. By the time they got to where their father lived, they were crawling. He was not there. From their knees, they screamed into the westward sun where it was sinking. Night was upon them, the whole day spent falling in the woods. They settled beneath a tree, but could not sleep, unable to for the chatter of their own minds. By dawn, they were so tired that the thoughts had slowed. Brother, the older brother thought loudly within their mind, making it stand out with force. Gibberish followed, 
Neither could completely stop themselves from thinking, and as long as they shared a mind, none of the thoughts could make sense. Brother, we are better than this, the older brother thought. Again the gibberish followed. We are storytellers and used to controlling our thoughts. The younger brother said, yes, we are. A hedgehog came out of a hole in the ground and offered the brothers a satchel with paper in it, pristine despite its origins in the dirt. From above, a crow dropped a quill into their lap. These were fathers, the older brother said, from the night he tried to take us away. And by remembering the night, it became something they shared. What happened to him, the younger brother wondered. A thousand and one stories flooded their minds, two at a time, interrupting each other into nonsense and making it clear that, even if they were of one mind, it was impossible to know what had happened to their father. They took the quill in the left hand, preferred by the older brother. He wrote, we cannot know. This encompassed their mother and father and the fair maiden become giant. With the right hand, preferred by the younger brother, he wrote, mother cannot be trusted. It was true, even if there was no other help. Though it was not the beginning of a story, it was useful to see and read together, which helped unify their mind. They stood from beneath the bone tree and stumbled without a destination. The sun was at midday when they emerged from the smell of fleshy rot to that of good earthy leaves, and they began to forage, finding and eating berries that were familiar and safe. Their state improved for having eaten, and as the sun sunk under the earth, they lay on the soft moss and fell into a deep sleep and had a dream. A woman who looked identical to their mother, but felt the opposite of her, told them to find the Red Oracle. The Red Oracle had answers. They awoke to their mind's chatter. With the left hand they wrote, that dream was interesting but not helpful. The right hand wrote, agreed. They continued their written exchange, agreeing that they needed to find water and food, and if possible, a bed. The results of these pursuits were that they spent the day stumbling over each other and mumbling in gibberish, as they tried to coordinate enough to tell familiar stories. They were lucky to find an inn at nightfall, for it began to rain quite violently as they crossed the threshold. Never having used money, they had none. The innkeeper, though he did not want to be heartless, struggled to find a reason not to turn the brothers away. From the corner, a man said, I bet he could give us a story. Together they told one of their father's stories, a favorite that they could still barely articulate with their stumbling tongue. The man in the corner stared with a piercing gaze. After they finished, the piercing man paid for their room, a meal, and some ale. The brothers managed to thank him, but were otherwise too tongue-tied with duality to further converse. They had the same dream that night. The day's light showed a still wet world and no reprieve from their buzzing mind that would allow them to formulate a plan. But they could not sit still and wait for something to happen. They followed the road through the tamer parts of the woods. It was a pleasant day, but as night fell, when they came to an inn, it began to rain. 
The piercing man was there again to save them from their lack of money, saying, I bet the young man could give us a story. They stumbled less than the previous night as they told one of their father's favorites. The piercing man stared from the corner. When they were done, he paid for their room, a meal, and some ale. They managed to thank him, but could manage no more. That night, they had the same dream. The next morning, they set out again in the same way and had much the same day, which ended in rain and found them at another inn, where once again the piercing man insisted on a story and paid for their room, meal, and ale. When they woke from the same dream, they found the piercing man in their room holding a golden ball. He had been watching them sleep. He asked if they were from the strange maiden's swamp. They said that they were. The piercing man asked what became of their father. The brothers told the piercing man of their father's plight as well as their own, each at the hand of their mother. Despite any stumbling, their storytelling was vivid and for a brief moment, the piercing man was young again and lucky to witness the world as built by his old friend. I knew your father, he said, when we were young. I could imagine that the two of you were just like him before you were cursed. I have something for you. He gave them a golden ball that could be juggled with any amount of objects, and none would fall or could be stolen from the juggler, as well as a satchel of copper coins. Though the brothers had never juggled before, they tried it and found that they could juggle a goblet, the satchel, and the ball, doing away with their discoordination. They resisted, saying that they could not take something of such value. The piercing man explained that he owed their father, a good friend and a good man, that he could not help in his youth. Though he was not given a choice, he had traded his friend for the ball, which was a curse more than anything else. Previously, juggling was his craft, something he was good at and had to work to be good at. With that ball, there was no challenge, and even when he juggled without it, he was brought no satisfaction. The first time he used it, he lost the thing that made him feel alive. As they walked into the woods, the brothers came across the piercing man, noose around his neck, kicking a stump out from under his own feet. They could not reach him to stop it, but as they heard the crack of his neck, he became a peacock and strutted away. With the coppers, they bought a sleeping bundle to carry on their back to the hills. They juggled as they walked. They had been traveling most of the day and were far into the hills when they came across an acrobat, somersaulting next to a treacherous drop-off on the trail. That's some fine juggling, the acrobat said. I would split my dinner with you for a story. The brothers told one of their father's stories and the acrobat split his dried berries and venison and half a skin of wine with them. After they finished eating, it was almost dark so the brothers made their way to a clearing where they camped for the night. In their dreams, the woman who looked like their mother, but kind, told them that they were headed in the right direction for the Red Oracle. The next day, they came across the acrobat doing cartwheels, back and forth over two precarious boulders. They were sure he would fall, but he didn't. He saw them and asked for another story. The brothers told him another of their father's stories. 
And for it, the acrobat gave them dried fruit, dried venison, and another half of a wineskin. The next day, as they made their way through the most treacherous passes in the mountains, trails that wended by cliff faces and required clever footing, they came across the acrobat doing a handstand at the edge of a steep face as they hugged the equally vertical rocks behind it. The acrobat righted himself and again asked for a story. When they were done, the acrobat asked the brothers if they were from the strange maiden's swamp. When they said yes, he asked what had become of their father. The brothers told the acrobat of their father's trials and their own, and the story of what happened to the juggler. For a brief moment, the acrobat felt like a young man again, listening to his old friend. I knew your father when we were young, the acrobat said. I could imagine that the two of you were just like him before you were cursed. I have something for you. He gave them a headband which would allow them to perform all manner of acrobatics without falling, and a satchel of silver coins. Though the brothers were not acrobats, they did a handstand at the edge of the cliff, landing safely on the trail. They resisted, saying they couldn't take something of such value. The acrobat said he owed their father, a good friend and a good man, that he could not help when they were young. And although he wasn't given a choice, he had traded his friend for the headband. And besides, it was a curse more than anything else. Previously, acrobatics were his craft, something he was good at and had to work to be good at. With the headband, there was no challenge, and when he tumbled without it, his abilities seemed feeble and he could find no satisfaction. The first time he used it, he lost the thing that made him feel alive. He had been dead for a long time, and that was why he was going to jump from the cliff. The brothers reached to pull him back and save him, but he was already gone, and as his body began to plummet, the acrobat turned into a swan and flew away. With the headband, they did not trip over each other anymore, and walked on their hands as well as their feet out of the craggy hills. They set up their bedroll in a high valley. Warm, soft winds rolled through the grass and brought with them a gentle song of the night, played on a guitar. When they woke, they continued through the valley. All day long, they heard the same guitar but closer. They sought the musician, finding him beneath a tree, sitting cross-legged and playing in a way that, even in their limited experience, seemed impossible. He placed the instrument aside and greeted the brothers by asking for a story in exchange for supper. They told him one of their father's stories, and in exchange, the musician gave them bread, cheese, and beer. When the brothers lay down for the night, it was with a full belly. The entirety of the following day, the distant sound of the guitar floated across the dancing grasses. As they walked, they worked on their own story, and in the evening, the brothers sought the musician once more. He placed the instrument aside and greeted the brothers by asking for a story in exchange for supper. Once more they told a story of their fathers. The musician gave them bread, cheese, and beer, and they went to bed with their bellies full. It was the musician who found the brothers the next day and told them that he used to write songs with their father, who would sing along with him as he played. 
The previous night's stories had shown that they possessed their father's gift, although the stories had been familiar to him. The brothers explained that they weren't sure if they could sing and told the musician of their plight and that of their father as the musician strummed the guitar very quietly. The musician was sympathetic to all that had happened to them and had but one request. He wanted to hear a story of their own. He would not judge if they stumbled over words. He understood their difficulties coordinating. They told him their own story about a princess in a castle where everyone was stuck in the past, the future, or their own minds. He sat and listened, wrapped with attention, as their words unfolded a world for him. I have something for you, he said after they were done, as they sat eating their beer cheese and bread. The brother's face grew worried, and the musician asked why, and they explained what had happened to the acrobat and the juggler, and that now they feared the musician would attempt to kill himself too. The musician explained that he was going to give them his pack with food and the guitar that could play anything the person who held it could conceive of without having to work to build skill, for the instrument had been a burden, robbing him of his very life, and that he was going to gift them with a bag of cold and a map to the oracle, but that he was not going to kill himself, rather he was going to turn into a songbird and try and go help his old friend. He couldn't carry any of it with him, so he wanted them to have it. If he could find the storyteller, everything would be okay. And the musician wished them luck, turned into a superb lyre bird, and flew away, singing imperfectly, like one who was learning his voice. It was a happy song. According to the map, the journey to the Red Oracle was long and treacherous. They continued to coordinate their thoughts as they went through towns and cities, came up with story plots and characters as they crossed hills and mountains, refined these into stories as they traversed valleys and meadows. These would be their means of making their way in the world, should their endowments from their father's friends run out. The Red Oracle lived in a cave near the top of a towering rock. The brothers had to climb for three days and three nights to get there. It would have been impossible without the headband. She said when she saw them, if only they had been motherless instead, two brothers and one unfortunate sons. I know the way to get this curse undone. But I require not gold, beer, meat, or bread. I don't want a story, this is more fun. Two brothers and one unfortunate sons. I know the way to get this curse undone. See the world different, stand on your head, juggle with your feet, use all that you've won. Play a song all the while, second to none. If only they'd been motherless instead, two brothers and one unfortunate sons. I know the way to get this curse undone. Really, we are storytellers, they said. What you described would surely look ridiculous. Dear boys from the edge of the world, this is my price. It is what must be done for my advice. So the brothers obliged. They moved to a handstand, juggling with their feet, and lowered themselves to their head to pick up the guitar. The whole situation created the expectation that the music would be distracted and otherwise inferior, but the magic guitar let them play a beautiful song. A smile of delight crossed the oracle's face, and she began her cryptic speech once more. 
You need go farther than most men before if you wish to break your mother's foul curse. Take a journey none would want to traverse. A place forgotten and consigned to lore. Through a forest of bones and mist and gore, of memory and speculation perverse, tis with the Midnight Princess you must converse. You need go farther than most men before if you wish to break your mother's foul curse. Take a journey none would want to traverse. To the land east of the sun, west of the moon. The brothers spoke in gibberish, attempting to ask where to find this land. Caution those who seek the forest of the bones. Mistake form there and swallow men's souls. Hollow they wander until eaten whole. And if you survive, you'll have lost your home. But knowing if through hell you wish to stroll. If still you wish seek the forest of bones, where mistake form and swallow men's souls. Pass the edge of the world. Into the unknown. Pass the altar where your father used to extol. Ghost form of memories and fears from inside your mind stole. Caution those who seek the forest of bones. Mistake form there and swallow men's souls. Hollow they wander until eaten whole. And she bid them take their leave, refusing to speak further. The brothers left the cave, their thoughts close to as jumbled as the first day they were joined. The younger brother said aloud, would you rather live with our current curse or through the one required to break it? The older brother said, I don't know, I've had enough with sorcerers. We could go anywhere, but just to get off this mountain, we would have to head back in the direction we came. They agreed that they still had time and headed down the mountain's sheer faces and boulders that exceeded their own height. Once down from the oracle's peak, the older brother asked the younger brother, Do you still want to head towards home and the last place we saw our father at the edge of the world, or do you want to go someplace else? Let's head in the direction of home, the younger brother wrote. They crossed the valley where they met the musician, and the older brother asked, Do you still want to head toward our old home and the last place we saw our father at the edge of the world, or do you want to go someplace else? Let's head in the direction of the place we last saw our father, the younger brother said. They crossed the range where they met the acrobat, and as they saw the road back down to civilization, the older brother asked, Do you still want to head toward our old home and the last place we saw our father at the edge of the world, or do you want to go someplace else? Let's head in the direction of the edge of the world, the younger brother said. And they passed the tree where the juggler hanged himself, and they stayed at the end. Although they had enough gold that they did not have to work for their stay, they constructed stories to keep themselves from going mad, trying to make a decision, and at night, when they could not anymore, they discussed that they could live with the curse and they were not ready to disappear into something more unknowable than death. But they had nowhere to go and nothing to do, and they were not alone in their curse. The poor giant had been an innocent victim, and it was possible that the Midnight Princess could help with their father and his friends, even if it was by releasing them from their corporeal bonds. Seven days turned into seven weeks. Seven weeks turned into seven months. During that time, they came up with many stories and reached a level of articulation within their shared mind previously unavailable to them. But their circumstances never changed, and they realized that they were bored. 
They went to the market and bought food for their journey and headed in the direction of the bone forest. When the first flesh leaf fell on them, a gruesome bloody sliver of skin, their thoughts became a jumble. They were sure it was too late to turn back. Out of the corner of their eye, they saw their father, sitting as he used to when they visited him. They walked toward him, only to have him appear once more in the periphery. All the while, the leaves dripped blood on them, and the sun became an array of faces, any of which could have been the Midnight Princess. They tried again to walk toward their father. They heard their mother say that she had him now. He is already lost. She placed herself in the center of their vision and could no more be removed than they could take their father from the edges. She scolded them, calling them stupid boys, unable to get anything done for all their dreaming, and then asked them for a story. The light strobed under the seven-faced sun, which started singing, moving in and out of discord and harmony. The world smelled of copper and bone dust, all of which got in their skin and hair. Despite themselves, they still tried to run toward their father, having hoped to see him before entering the mist. Through a series of pivots, they got closer to him. Their mother's voice and the haunting singing of the princesses got louder. The faces in the sun cycled faster, and they saw their mother's shadow loom large, as it had when she would stand over them when they were young. When they reached their father, they were at his back. He did not move when they touched his shoulder, and when they moved to the front of him, they did not find his face, but the back of his head again, and they circled him only to find that their father was faceless. They went around and around, desperate. He started to tell them a story. Their ears were full of this in addition to the voices of their mother and the seven-faced son. The giant approached in the distance. Her footsteps shook the ground. The juggler, the acrobat, and the musician danced at the horizon. The red oracle appeared in every tree. A moon with the face of a three-eyed baby rose behind their father, bringing with it a flash of blindness. The brothers screamed and their eyeballs fell out of their mouth. They picked them up, took the golden ball out of their pocket and began to juggle. As they did so, the hand-bone branches of the trees tried to snatch the items away, only for the brothers to break them off and juggle with them too. Whichever way they walked, their faceless father sat a few feet to the side, ready to be tripped over. Their mother's shadow and voice loomed, and the chorus of the celestial family sang as the sky strode with their faces and the giant's footsteps boomed. They juggled the golden ball, the eyeballs, and six hands. They refused to give their attention to anything but this, and the bone roots beneath their feet which tried to trip them. Little by little, the story grew quieter, as did the chorus of sisters, the pounding of the giant's feet, and even their mother. All of the noise faded into a blinding gray mist until they could no longer see even what they were juggling, and the air between their legs grew cold and wet. They could no longer see the roots. The brothers started stumbling. They put their eyes back in and tucked the ball away. There was nothing to look at but the mist which surrounded them. 
They were knocked down when the mist became their mother and went straight through their heart. They fared little better when they breathed their father in and out. They could hardly tell up from down when they put on the acrobat's headband. With it on, they had to watch all that they could not see when they were juggling and had to bend every which way and walk on their hands, but they could not be knocked over. The mist became dense and began to take shape and the shape was that of a monster, which shook the ground and ran circles around the brothers. It took flight and grew in the distance. Whatever way the brothers walked, they walked toward the monster with seven princess claws and the faces of their parents for eyes. When the brothers reached the monster, it roared and raged. The thing's savagery shook them to the marrow. Through their fear, they took off the headband and began to play the guitar. At first, this only served to agitate the beast, but very soon he was soothed and the brothers played for him for some time, unsure of what to do, held hostage by this monster and unclear of where to go. They began a lullaby, the first song they had ever heard, as they drifted to their first sleeps. After their parents abandoned soothing the brothers with it, they had sang it to each other over the years. The beast's mouth opened until they could walk inside. There, they were greeted with warm air, soft breeze, and pleasant light. There were seven princesses with outstretched arms. It was apparent these girls would take care of them, but only time would reveal the Midnight Princess, who they needed to endear themselves to. And it was with that in mind that they said, without stumbling at all, who wants to hear a story? Thank you for listening to the Domestic Aggressive Podcast. This has been the Storyteller's Tale, the second installment of the East of the Sun, West of the Moon Quartet. My name is Meredith Lindgren, and I wrote and read the episode. All sound design and music is by Nathan Paul.